And I think what happens is we have kids, now they're the priority. Now our kids are teenagers, now that's a priority. Now our kids are getting married, now their relationship is our priority. And, and all of a sudden you can go decades without making relationship with God and spouse first priority. And the result is you're just sort of gnawing away, to use that analogy of the foxes in the vineyard, at the root of your vine. You're just causing it to be a little more sick, a little less nourished, a little less fruitful, a little less healthy, until at some point you can actually gnaw away at it until you sever that vine. It breaks and it dies. And, yeah, so, and I think the common way of thinking is, oh, when the kids are raised, then we can be married again like we were before. But it's too late by then. You really don't know each other anymore. No, You've stopped investing. We're not going to do that. No. But <laughs> I mean, it's so common because you're so busy. You just think, oh, well, when this is over, then we can get back to that. And it, it's just, it's a its a lie in our thinking that we can fall prey to. Well, howdy, y'all. Pastor Mark here, welcoming you back to the Real Marriage Podcast. If you don't know, we got a brand new book, my wife Grace and I. Uh, it's called Real Romance, and it's on sex in the Song of Songs. And uh, hey, if you're not having sex, uh, we want to help. If you're having sex, we want you to have more and better sex. And if you're doing really great, congratulations. You're officially a unicorn. The book is now available, and you can find all the details at realromancebook.com. And on today's episode, we'll be delving into the Song of Songs, the Real Romance Marriage Book, and try to help you spice up your love life, my friend. Let's start with this. What they're gonna get into today is uh, they're really looking forward to marriage and life together. They've got some excitement, some expectation, and then there's a little bit of conflict, disappointment, and so they start with a flirt, they end with a fight. And this tends doesn't to be, long. doesn't take <laughs> long at all. No, it doesn't. Um, some years ago, I was uh, talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he said that uh, life is a lot like train tracks. There's always good and bad, concurrently, simultaneous. simultaneously, continuously. And the one track here is going to be the flirt. They're flirting and having fun. And then the fight, they're going to have some problems. And those tend to be the two train tracks of marriage. So in, in most marriages, uh, one person tends to be more the optimist, looking at one track, the other more the pessimist. Which would you be? Optimist. Optimist. So you're looking at the good things, the bright side. Me? Pessimist. And it's not shocking. Your name is Grace and my initials are M-A-D, mad. So I'm going to be over on the dark track and uh, you'll be over on the yes. light track. And I think early on we had some difficulty because you'll be like, well, things are great. Look on the bright. I'd be like, no, things are horrible. This is, you need to deal with reality. We even kind of showed now you're wearing white, I'm wearing black. That's kind of snow stuff. And so... Um, I have butterflies on my shirt. You do have butterflies on your shirt and I killed a cow. So that's where we're at. Okay, so... Um, so the two train tracks of marriage, why is it important that you learn to pay attention to both? Because we do need to live in reality and not think that everything is awesome and amazing. Um, God can make everything awesome and amazing, but there's still pain in life. And so we need to deal with reality. Um, but we can't live over in the dark side because then we just get depressed and think, woe is me, and we become a victim and it's all bad. So we're going to look at both train tracks. The first track is going to be flirt, which is awesome, and then fight, which is less awesome. But normal. But normal in marriage. And isn't it interesting that in the most erotic, passionate, perhaps most honest book of the whole Bible, it includes a fight? Because the truth is, marriage does. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, why don't you start by reading 
the sections uh, from the woman, and then I'll read the sections from the men, starting in chapter 2, verse 8. Verse 8. Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. That's a lot of poetic flirting. I like that. <laughs> he then responds, and so it's a conversation, series of love songs, a little bit of a, a duet here. <laughs> my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes. That's what we're really going to unpack and get into that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. And then she says, My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the ragged hills. And so then they are flirting. It's awesome. They're looking forward to time together. Something goes wrong. They have a fight. He storms off. She's left alone. She's heartbroken. Mm -hmm. They're disappointed. They were really looking forward to connecting and having a great time. And something went wrong. So then she says, All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Cool. And so just one simple observation. Women tend to be very verbal. Men tend to be very visual. Mm -hmm. She has a lot to say. She speaks first. She speaks most. She's frank. She's free. She's got a lot to say. He's very visual. When he does speak, he uses less words. Still true of most men. And he talks a lot about things like your face is lovely and, and your eyes are like doves. So when he does speak, he speaks a lot about what he sees visually and a lot of what she expresses is emotional and verbal. And so that being said, um, she does a lot of the talking here. And so within marriage, is it okay for the wife to be passionate, to have a lot of strong opinions, strong personality, and to be very ver verbal and communicative with her husband saying, here's what I like, here's what I don't like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just expressing herself and and getting to be known so that her husband can understand who she is. And uh, do you think that there is somehow a myth within some religious or Christian circles that a, a strong woman is probably not a godly woman? It all depends on where you direct your strength. <laughs> if it's to make for a better marriage, if it's to make for a better relationship with the Lord or others, then strength is great. 
Um, but strong women that use it to harm people or to rule over or control, that's not a good strength. Yeah, and I always told the girls, our daughters growing up, they're, they're strong. They're like their mom. We've got strong women in our home. Uh, and strength isn't a problem for a husband or a wife. It's independence. Yes. And so when it becomes independence or dominance, meaning I'm going to live separate from you or I'm going to rule over you, that's where the strength becomes a problem. They're both strong people. I mean, he's the king of Israel. He's Solomon. He's writing books of the Bible. He's strong. And she's a very strong woman. And she's strong enough to tell him what to do, to ask him questions, to be very frank with him, to be very direct with him. And in so, regards to building their relationship. In regards yes. to building their relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's not in a disrespectful way. So strength mm-hmm. isn't a problem as long as it doesn't lead to independence, criticism, attacking, or domineering. Mm-hmm. And so within that, she, um, she talks about the season that they're in. And so uh, there are physical seasons and then there are seasons of life. Ecclesiastes 3 tends to put these together, which is also written by Solomon. There's a time and a season for everything. Right. And what she's saying is our relationship is in the spring and also the season of the year is in the spring. So maybe talk briefly about different seasons in marriage and how things are different. And you need to know when your season changes. So from sort of intentional dating to engagement, engagement to early married, married to little kids, kids to grown kids, kids to empty nesters, kids to grandkids. Marriage has these seasons and she's referring to the season that they're in. Getting to know each other, making sure that it's a good fit, making sure that you have wise counsel and people are agreeing with this connection and this. And not rushing the sexuality and blurring your perspective. What about newly married couple where two of our kids are at, first year or two of marriage? Mm -hmm. Still getting to know each other because you're doing that your whole marriage, but really investing in that relationship, making each other priority, not letting all the distractions or other things that are in life take over your relationship, but really keeping focus and priority. And it can feel a little selfish, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes it's really just investing in first priorities. Building that foundation. What about in the season then, okay, we got little kids. Well, then you still need to focus on your marriage (laughs) Um, and you have to work harder at it because you're tired and distracted and and kids are a blessing, but they are a lot of work. They're physically exhausting. And so really continuing to work on, I mean, we talked about the date night before, continuing to have that. And, And we weren't legalistic about it, but we were hard set on having it. So we made sure that we had something that was considered time together, whether it was going away or being at home and having time together um, because we wanted to invest in the marriage still. What about the next season? The kids get a little older. They get a driver's license. They're in the teen years. They're a little bit more independent. I mean, (laughs) it's kind of the same. You still need to invest in the marriage, but it just looks different because they're gone. So you need to go back into maybe having more creativity in your dates or time together. Um, Oftentimes there's even more distractions because you've lived longer. You have more responsibilities outside of the home. Um, And so you need to be super intentional about, okay, now we've been through these seasons. What do you enjoy now? Maybe you don't enjoy going for certain trips anymore. Maybe there's not, you know, finances for certain things anymore. So you have to really have those conversations about what do you enjoy in this season of life? And we're about halfway there. Two launched, one in college, two in high school, empty nest season as we look into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's enjoyable, and there's still a lot of emotional energy that goes into Your the kids, kids in their in their life stages, which is great. I love that. I love that investing, um, but making sure you're preserving that emotional energy for the marriage too, and not just giving it all to kids and people. And so what she's talking about in the Song of Songs is there's different seasons. And what you're saying is relationship with God, relationship with spouse have to be the first two priorities in every single season. And where we have problems, and he's he's going to talk about foxes that get in the vineyard, little things that gnaw away and cause problems, is when our priorities get out of order. So in a season, someone or something takes the place of God or the spouse, which triggers what Pastor Jimmy Evans calls the, the law of priority, triggers the law of jealousy. And the result then is you're really doing damage to the vineyard of your relationship Mm -hmm. and your family and your marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is we have kids, now they're the priority. Now our kids are teenagers, now that's a priority. Now our kids are getting married, now their relationship is our priority. And and all of a sudden you can go decades without making relationship with God and spouse first priority. And the result is you're just sort of gnawing away, to use that analogy of the foxes in the vineyard, at the root of your vine. You're just causing it to be a little more sick, a little less nourished, Mm -hmm a little less fruitful, a little less healthy, until at some point you can actually gnaw away at it until you sever that vine. It breaks and it dies. Yeah, and I think the common way of thinking is, oh, when the kids are raised, then we can be married again like we were before. But it's too late by then. You really don't know each other anymore. You've stopped investing. We're not going to do that. No. (laughs) But, I mean, it's so common because you're so busy. You just think, oh, well, when this is over, then we can get back to that. And it, it's just, it's a, it's a lie in our thinking that we can fall prey to. And so really keeping those priorities of that marriage and, and together talking about that. Because again, in different seasons, like we talked about um, love language, like in different seasons, I appreciated different things. So I went from, you know, when I have five little kids, I don't, I'm not high touch when I have five little kids, because I'm being touched all day, <laughs> um, I don't. I you want, want service. Yes, and I please want go take out the garbage. Yeah, <laughs> like real conversation. <laughs> um, so in different seasons, those things change, and and so being aware of that and being um, intentional and in asking, okay, in this season, how can I best love you? How can I best serve you? How can we best build the relationship right now? And that could change in five years or five minutes, but being aware enough and engaged enough to be willing to have those conversations. And so when seasons change, how you love and serve one another needs yep. to change. Yep. And it may be a move. It may be a job change. It mm-hmm. may be a sickness. It may be uh, an elderly parent is mm-hmm. now um, yep. struggling and life changes. And that's where you sit down and you just have that conversation. Like, okay, things have changed. So how can we best care for one another? I'll never forget. I, I was working too much. I was overextended. My priorities were out of order. And I, I would come home and I would, I would get very frustrated because you would ask, okay, so tell me everything that happened today. And I'm like, I don't want to relive it. <laughs> it was bad enough the first time. I don't want to relive it. And then one day you sat down and you said, how can I be a good friend? Mm-hmm. And you, you changed the question. I was like, oh, that's a fantastic question mm-hmm. because the seasons had changed. Yeah. In the previous season, I needed you to know everything so that you could help me make all these decisions. In this season, I just really needed to come home and get a break from it. Yeah. And, and seasons change. The other thing that she does, she has a lot of flirty nicknames. Mm-hmm. They keep flirting, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of nicknames. So she calls him my beloved mm-hmm. and her young stag, which is basically <laughs> young stud. <laughs> and so she's using masculine sort yes. of machismo, um, male, strong, 
sort of nicknames for him. So she doesn't, he looks at her and he says, my dove. Mm-hmm. She doesn't say that to him. Um, most men don't want to be the dove and most women don't want to be the stud. And so it's just, <laughs> and I know this sounds very binary. It's because it should be. Um, and, uh, and what they're doing is they're, they're flirting and nicknaming one another. Uh, and if you then, have a negative nickname, that needs to change. Right. Just putting that in there. That's good. Okay. Um, that's convicting. I won't, I apologize. <laughs> Um, I was interacting it. Okay, well, I just thought maybe the Holy Spirit showed up and I was supposed to own something. I'm just trying to get out of trouble here, okay? He's got nicknames for her. He calls her my dove. And then he has specific compliments for her. He says, your voice is sweet. Mm -hmm. And I just told you, I love your laugh. I say crazy things and you laugh, and I love that. And he says, your face is lovely. Mm-hmm. He likes, so yeah, they're looking at specific. each other. Yeah. He's very specific. You have to look at each other to know that your face is lovely. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I just want to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing it out there. No, you're, you're a young stag. Oh, okay, well, we're going to cut this session short. We got to go. We got to go. Gas up the truck. We gotta go. Right. <laughs> so then, uh, so then they get into this concept of foxes in the vineyard. Mm-hmm. So some years ago, I'll tell you guys a story. The Bible talks a lot about vines and vineyards and harvest and fruit and grapes. It uses all this viticulturalist language. Big word there for a guy that went to a public school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for purely research purposes, we went to Sonoma, California <laughs> for Bible study. Yes. Uh, we weren't there to drink the wine. We were there for research purposes. And as we were touring a vineyard owned by a Christian, mm-hmm. they were using a lot of the language of the Bible on cultivating and harvest and vines. It's a lot of work. A lot of work. And what they told us was that, you know, a well-cultivated, fruitful vine could take generations mm-hmm. of tending. Mm-hmm that it, it, it's slow, meticulous process, mm-hmm. guarding it, watering it, protecting it, pruning, pruning it. it, harvesting it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an incredibly patient art form. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the gal who was showing us the vineyard, she said, and occasionally a small animal will get into the vineyard and will just gnaw away at the base of the vine. And then all of a sudden, everything that has taken decades or generations to grow is now all of a sudden beginning to die because it's being choked off at the base. Uh, There's not a source of life and nourishment, and it can actually harm the crops, can even kill the vine. Mm -hmm. And so she said, the hardest thing is keeping all of the the small animals, the critters, out of the vineyard and away from the base of the vine. That's exactly what they're talking about here. And so um, in your marriage, your marriage is like a vineyard, and you need to cultivate it over decades. It's a lot of tending and watering and, and pruning and harvesting and, and caring. Uh, but things can come in. And, and, and the point here is oftentimes it's not big things, it's the little things. Yep. And, uh, and sometimes the big things, they can and do do damage, but oftentimes it's the constant annoyance of the little things mm-hmm. or the combination of the little things. And the things that were cute when you were dating that are no longer They're no longer right. annoying. <laughs> or they're cute before you had kids, and now you're yeah. like, I need you to grow up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I learned this the hard way some years ago. I was having a conversation with someone uh, that was going to plant a church. It was a, a young man that I, I thought I'd love well, like a spiritual father. And I, I felt just inclined in the spirit to ask him, is there anything I 
I need to own or apologize or unburden you of. And he immediately got very emotional. And he said, well, when you said this, it destroyed me. And I didn't even remember saying it. I, I didn't even, I said, I'm so sorry, I didn't even remember saying that. And I said, I didn't know that that was a big deal. And what he said really hit me in the soul. He said, what you said isn't a big deal, but you're a big deal. And the point is that sometimes uh, a person that we don't know or like can do something major and it doesn't really bother us, but someone that we really love and care for, that we, we really opened our heart and trusted, they can say or do something that is comparably minor, but it has far deeper damage because we've given them access to our heart and our soul. Yeah.